So we're going to continue our series tonight in uh, Hebrews. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, open with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And as we've been going through this series, we've been looking at uh, different uh, heroes of faith or the different people of faith uh, listed here in this chapter. And as we've worked our way through it over the last several weeks, what we've seen is, is that faith manifests itself. It, it, the way faith uh, uh, comes into uh, sight, the way we see faith, is it produces in, in believers' lives confident obedience to God's word. That, that faith is the confidence, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things unseen, but what that leads for us as believers, what that leads us to do is to step out in obedience to God's word, no matter what the circumstances or the consequences or the outcomes. And so the writer of Hebrews uh, in this chapter, we've gone through it together. We've seen the faith of Abel. We've seen the faith of Enoch, the faith of Noah, the faith of Abraham, the faith of Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses's parents. And then last week, uh, as Pastor Mike brought the word, we saw the faith of Moses. And the whole point of this, this uh, study on faith is, and, and what he, the writer of Hebrews, is trying to do for the people that he's writing to is that the people of God in the first century were under immense pressure, immense pressure to surrender the gospel, to forsake the gospel, to, to turn their back on God's word. There was incredible pressures in that culture, even to the point where they were enduring physical persecution. And so the temptation is to forsake Christ, to forsake the gospel in order to try to save possibly their lives. And so the author of Hebrews is holding out for us these great men and women of faith as examples, saying, look how they lived for God. Look how they stood for God. Look how they obeyed God in their time, even though it was hard and difficult. And so he's encouraging us who are now reading this, he's encouraging us likewise to look at these examples of faith and to likewise step out and obey God's word in our own time, in our own day and age. And this is why I wanted to do this series is because we also, in 2022, we also are under a certain amount of pressure, a certain amount of pressure to forsake God's word, to, to abandon the gospel. And it's certainly it's not the kind of pressure that they were under in the first century. Nevertheless, what we're seeing today is that many Christians, even though we're not under the threat of physical persecution, many Christians today are abandoning the word of God. And so we don't want to do that. Amen? We want to be people of faith who... who live out and who obey God's word confidently, no matter the circumstances or the consequences. And so we've been going through these examples, and that brings us to our passage today in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, today we're going to look at two verses, verses 29 and 30. But before I do that, I want to read a, a, a one verse from 1 Corinthians. And Paul, speaking of the children of Israel, speaking of the time that we're going to look at in our passage today, he says that these things happened to them, 
So the events that we're going to look at tonight surrounding the children of Israel after uh, they, they walked through the Red Sea and traveled through the wilderness and went into the promised land, these events happened as an example for us. And they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And so as we're looking at what we're going to look at tonight from Hebrews and as we walk through a study in the Old Testament tonight, they're written down for us as examples. They're written down for us to learn from. They're written down for us to, to learn how we can avoid some of the same errors that they fell into and, uh, not, and, and instead walk faithfully with God. And so Hebrews chapter 11, and we're looking at 29, verse 29 and 30. It says this, by faith, everybody say, by faith. By faith, faith, the people, that's the children of Israel, by faith, they crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, everybody say, by faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, this message uh, that you've placed in my heart, Lord, that you would help me to communicate it clearly and that it would be edifying for your people that are here tonight. Lord, thank you for each one that is here. Lord, from the youngest to the oldest, uh, what a joy it is to be here in your presence, to worship you and receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you look at these two events that's in our passage today, the, the crossing of the Red Sea and the, the uh, taking of Jericho, the battle of Jericho, if you, if you know your Bible, you might recognize, do you see anything myth, missing there? Is, do, you, do you notice anything missing from the crossing of the Red Sea to... The battle of Jericho. Those are the two events that he, he puts back to back. Let's look at them again. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. The Egyptians attempted to do the same and were drowned. And then by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Again, do you notice anything missing? In fact, there's quite a few things that are missing there. There's a whole host of things that are missing. In fact, he he goes from Exodus 14, the crossing of the Red Sea. He skips the rest of the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first part of Joshua, all the way to Joshua chapter 6, when when the children of Israel went into the promised land and their first battle was against the, the, the city of Jericho. Now, I find it interesting that he, he lists the, the first event out of Egypt and then the first event into the promised land. But we know that there's a 40-year period there in the middle. There's a period of, of 40 years. He doesn't mention it. He doesn't speak to it. And I think it's deliberate. I, I think he's communicating to us something by what he's leaving out between Exodus 14 and Joshua chapter 6. And in fact, he he already referenced that earlier in Hebrews chapter 3. If we want to flip back just a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 3. He mentions the, 
this period, he mentions some things that happened there in the wilderness as, as, as Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, which was not God's plan for them to be in the wilderness for 40 years, as we'll see in a little bit. But in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Again, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's, he's writing to people who have professed faith and Christ. And he says, take care, make sure that there's not an evil, unbelieving heart in you, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. And then here he quotes from the Old Testament, verse 15, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We're going to look at that rebellion here in a little bit. For who were those who were who heard and yet rebelled, who heard God's word and yet rebelled. Was it not all of those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness and whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient, so we see that they were unable to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. And so here at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, he, he mentions the children of Israel. He mentions them coming out of, of Egypt. He, he mentions their deliverance by God through the Red Sea. But then he holds up as a, as a negative example the way they behaved in the wilderness for 40 years. And then here now, when we get to chapter 11, he, he, he skips over that part because he's talking about great examples of faith, not examples of unbelief. And so if we would, why don't we flip back to Exodus tonight? We're going to do a little bit of a Old Testament uh, survey through the book of, uh, or through the Pentateuch rather. Uh, I want to show you some things. And I, I, do, I do want you to bear with me for a moment as I lay some foundation, and when we get uh, towards the end tonight, it's, trust me, it's, well, by faith, I'm saying it's all going to come together. So, uh, by faith. But in Exodus chapter 14, we see that they crossed the Red Sea. The children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. God had led them out of bondage in Egypt. God had set them free, uh, free from, from the power of being enslaved as uh, in bondage to uh, Pharaoh. And we see the, the story that uh, he references in Hebrew chapter 11 in Exodus 14, in verses 13 and 14. It says, when they were backed up against the Red Sea and the, and the, the Egyptians were coming out to take them as slaves back to Egypt, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to 
be silent. He leads them through on dry ground. When Pharaoh and his armies, they chase after them, he brings the Red Sea back upon them and totally uh, sets, Egypt, uh, sets his people free from Egypt. And in verse 25, he says that he clogged the, the wheels of the chariot so that they couldn't ride. The Egyptians said, let us flee before the God of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord fights for them. In verse 30, after the waters came on them and, and God had set them free, it says, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. God told, uh, through Moses, God told his people as they were, their backs were up against the wall, literally, he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight your battles for you. And he parted the Red Sea. He made a way for them. And they stood on the seashore and watched as the bodies came in. And it says that they believed in the Lord. Now, Egypt, we know in the Bible, is a type, a, a foreshadowing, if you will, of the world, of the world, of bondage to sin. The world today is in darkness. Without the gospel, we are dead in trespasses and sin. And Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt is, it represents the world. It represents sin. It represents bondage. And God set his people free. He delivered them from bondage. He brought them out uh, through the work of the Passover, where those who had the blood of the lamb applied to their house were spared pointing forward to the redemption that we would have through the blood of the Lamb that John the Baptist said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he sets them free from Egypt, passing through the blood of the Lamb, the blood applied to them, foreshadowing the cross, foreshadowing the work of Christ. He brings them through the Red Sea, which foreshadows water baptism, they were baptized, literally baptized in the Red Sea, if you will. And as they came through the Red Sea, the waters closed in behind them, saying, signifying loud and clear, there's no going back to Egypt. And just for us, when we are baptized, what we are saying is we are Christians. We have had the blood applied. We have been set free from bondage, set free from sin, set free from the power of the enemy by the great victory of Christ. We are dead to the world. We are now alive to Christ. There's no going back. That's what baptism signifies for us. That's what the Red Sea signified for them. This was the preeminent, the greatest miracle in all of the Old Testament is this parting of the Red Sea, this great deliverance that God worked for his people, foreshadowing the work of Christ 
and the great deliverance that we have all shared in if we have believed in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus today, you have been set free of sin, set free of bondage, set free of, of, of the work of the enemy, set free from slavery, passed through the water of baptism. There's no going back. Amen. In chapter 15, uh, they sing this great song. It's this great celebration. They have this huge party, this dance party as they celebrate before the Lord and they sing this great song. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 14 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your power and by your strength to your holy abode. They have a worship service. They have church on the beach after they've been baptized in the Red Sea, set free through the blood of the Lamb. And so God had told Moses that he was going to take these people who were enslaved in bondage and he was going to deliver them into his promised land, the land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had made a covenant with them that he was going to bring the descendants of them into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. This was God's plan for the children of Israel. God is bringing them and he's fulfilling his promise that he had made to Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed and they were going to live in the kingdom of God. God was going to be their king. They were going to live under his rule and live under his blessing in this land of promise. But, but to live in the kingdom of God, they needed two things. They needed two things. They needed God's law and they needed God's presence to go with them. And so God brings them to Mount Sinai. God brings them to the mountain that he had appeared to Moses on. And as he's bringing them to Mount Sinai, immediately, immediately, the people start to grumble. The people start to complain. As soon as they put their guitars away from having church, they start looking around and they go, uh... Where are we going to sleep tonight? Uh, what are we going to eat tonight? Uh, this was great and all, but uh, how are we going to live? And, and how is this going to work? And immediately the people begin to grumble. We don't even make it out of chapter 15 of Exodus. And they begin to grumble. Exodus chapter 15, verse 24. The people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Because they came to a place where the water was bitter. And Moses cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw the log into the water and the bitter water became sweet. And the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them saying that they must obey him and have faith in him. And so immediately, I, you just have to see this, as soon as they made it through the other side, they immediately started to doubt God. 
They immediately started to grumble. They immediately started to long to go back to Egypt. Why? Because things were not easy. It wasn't comfortable like it was in Egypt. In Egypt, it was comfortable. Yes, they were enslaved. Yes, they were in bondage. But they had their houses. They had their, their comforts. They, 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 they were comfortable in the land of Egypt. Here now, they're in the wilderness. And things are not easy in the wilderness. They don't have homes to live in. They're basically camping as a nation. It wasn't what they were used to, and it wasn't what they were expecting. In chapter 16, they begin to grumble again. Verse 2, it says, The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill us and this whole assembly with hunger. They've barely made it a few days. They've just seen God work incredible miracles and deliverance for them. And they're already complaining they're already groaning. They're already grumbling. Moses tells them in verse 8, he says, you're not grumbling against me and Aaron. You're grumbling against the Lord. Verse 20 says that they didn't listen to Moses. They, 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 they started to rebel against God. And, but nevertheless, God, in his grace and in his mercy, he brings for them bread from heaven. Bread from heaven. How many of you love bread? Oh, I love bread. I ate a tortilla yesterday. And I turned to Heather and I said, this, this is just the best thing on planet Earth. This, I mean, what is better than this hot tortilla? And the, the tortilla I ate wasn't even from that day. It was a day old. It was a leftover tortilla that I had heated up in the microwave. It was amazing. It was, and I'm just thinking, as soon as I ate it, I thought about the children of Israel in the wilderness, that they ate tortillas from heaven. God's tortillas, manna, bread from heaven. It was better than any tortilla you've ever had in your life. I guarantee you that. And they grumbled and they complained and they were not satisfied. Jesus in John chapter 6 says that he is the true bread that's come down from heaven. That that bread from heaven actually was pointing towards Christ, pointing towards him. And that we as, as God's people should be satisfied with Christ. And what it's telling us is that they were not satisfied even though God provided for them in the wilderness bread from heaven. They were not satisfied. They began to grumble. They began to complain. Literally every chapter that you walk through in the book of Exodus has this motif. They grumble, they complain, and God provides. They grumble, they complain again, and God provides. Chapter 17, they don't have water to drink again as they're moving towards Mount Sinai. 17 verse 3, the people grumble and complain against Moses and they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with us? 
Moses called to the Lord and said, what shall I do with this people? They are ready to stone me. They're about to mutiny. They're about to kill me. And here, Moses is instructed to strike the rock and that water came from the rock. God provided water for them miraculously, miraculously. And so it's, it, it's grumbling and complaining and miraculous provision. Grumbling and complaining, miraculous provision. Because God was committed to his people. God is a faithful God. God is a faithful God. He leads them to Mount Sinai, and we see this in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. On Mount Sinai, Moses receives God's law. Again, if they're going to live in the kingdom of God, they must have the word of God. They must have the law of God. How are they to obey God? How are they to follow God? How are they to live in his kingdom without his law? So on, on Mount Sinai, God gives Moses his law. Uh, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. We see that he, he gives them his instruction on, on how to live. But it's not just Exodus 20, it's, it's 21, it's 22, it's 23, it's 24, it's the law of God. As we get to Exodus 25, the other thing that they needed to be God's people was they needed God's presence in their midst. And so in Exodus 25, God gives them the instructions for the tabernacle, for the tabernacle, how they were to live in relationship to God, with God dwelling in their midst. He gives them the sacrificial system which points toward the cross. Again, so that God could be in their midst. God, a holy God, cannot endure or be around sin, but he makes a way for sinful people to be reconciled to himself so that he can dwell in the midst of his people. As we continue through Exodus into Leviticus, he, he, he clarifies, he, he gives more of his law to his people. And so we have Exodus, we have Leviticus, we have Numbers. God is, is delivering his law and he's bringing his people to the promised land. If you'll flip over with me to Exodus, uh, sorry, Numbers, the book of Numbers, Numbers 11. Numbers chapter 11. The people complain again. They're about to enter the promised land. God is leading them into his kingdom. But they're still complaining, even though the Lord is providing for them. Verse 1 says, The people complained in the hearing of the Lord and their, uh, about their misfortunes, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was Terabah, because the fire of the Lord burned against them. But they don't stop complaining. In verse 4, it says, Now the rabble that was among them, that's the unbelieving, had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. 
But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all to eat but this manna to look at. They're not satisfied with the provision of the Lord. They still had the taste of sin in their mouth. They still had the taste of the world in their mouth. They hadn't developed an appetite for Christ, the bread that was coming down from heaven. They became bored with that diet that the Lord was giving them. And so the Lord provides for them, uh, again, meat to eat in the form of quail. And then we get to chapter 13. And in Numbers chapter 13, they're on the cusp of entering into the promised land. There's been all of this complaining against God, God providing for them, them worshiping idols, God judging them. It's just been this whole debacle. But they're finally there. They're finally on the cusp of the promised land. They're they're about to enter into the, the kingdom of God that he had promised to bring them into. And so Moses sends 12 spies into the land to spy it out. And he tells them in verse 20, he says, go and spy out the land and see whether it is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And so he sends these 12 spies into the land. And verse 25 says, at the end of 40 days, they return from spying out the land. They're on the cusp. They've They've received God's law. They've received God's presence. His tabernacle's been built. He's dwelling among his people. He's leading them in, fulfilling this promise. And they came to Moses, verse 26, and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land which you sent us and it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. And it it says that they brought back a cluster of grapes that was so big, so plentiful, so ripe and, and, and so heavy that they had to carry it on a pole between two people. Two men had to carry the cluster of grapes on a pole. This, this land is so rich. This land is so bountiful. This land, they say, it flows with milk and with honey. But in verse 28, they say, however, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And beside, we saw the de- descendants of giants there. The Amalekites dwell in the land The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. They were speaking words of faith. The 10 other spies were speaking words of doubt. And unbelief. We are well able, he says, let us go at once. Let us not delay. Let us not take our time. Let us go and take what God has delivered unto us. But then those men who went up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. 
So they brought a negative and bad report about the land that they had spied out. They said the land that we went through is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people that we saw are of great height. They're giants. We saw in the land the Nephilim, these giants, the sons of Anak. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. So you have two spies, Joshua and Caleb. They bring back this good report. They say, we are able to do it. Let us go at once and take possession of what God has given us. And 10 spies that say, there's no way. It's impossible. And in chapter 14, it says, all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died and would that we have died in the land of Egypt that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people and Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said, stone them with stones. Stone them with stones. And so they rise up to stone Moses and Aaron and the two spies. God appears in the, the tent of meeting. His, his cloud of glory descends. And so Moses goes in and God says, that's it. That's it. This generation is not going to inherit the promised land. This generation is going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every single one of the unbelieving from this generation passes away and then I will lead their children in and the children's generation will take possession of it. And so between the Red Sea and the walls of Jericho falling down, is this great saga of people who had been set free, people who had been delivered, people who had been saved, people who had, uh, had, had had the blood applied to them, people who had gone through the waters of baptism. But when they came to the precipice of seeing the kingdom of God and the manifestation of the kingdom of God in their life, they rebelled in unbelief. They rebelled in unbelief until the next generation rose up. The generation that Joshua led into the promised land. And they went in in faith. And it says that the Lord fought their battles for them. That the Lord fought their battles for them. As they went in to take possession of the land that God had given them, he fought their battles for them. That nobody could stand against them when they went forward with the power and the presence of God. They, they didn't have to wait 40 years. They could have gone in and taken possession of it. 
Now here's the point of all of this. There are many Christians, believers in Christ, who have been set free from sin, who have been set free from bondage, who have been set free from the power of the enemy through the blood of the Lamb. They've had the blood applied to their lives. They've trusted in Christ for salvation. And He has saved them. They've passed through the waters of baptism. But then they begin to experience hardship and difficulty in their Christian walk. And like the children of Israel, they begin to complain. They want to go back. They wish it was easy the way it was. And God is wanting to lead all of us, hear me, God is wanting to lead all of us into experiencing His kingdom in our lives. His kingdom in our lives. But for us to experience His kingdom, we have to fight some battles. There's some giants that we got to slay. And the battles that we have to fight to experience the kingdom of God are battles that we fight with sin in our lives. We've been set free. The power of the enemy has been broken. God wants to bring us into his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It's the place where God rules and reigns. How does God rule and reign? Through his word. And so we as God's people to experience the kingdom of God, which Romans uh, 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. God's, God's desire for every believer here is that we would live in his righteousness, his peace, and his joy in the Holy Ghost. But to do that, we must submit our lives to his word. To his word. And his people constantly rebelled against his word in unbelief. They had had faith in God when their backs were against the wall when there was no other way to go but through the Red Sea, they had faith. They had faith. And likewise, many Christians, they put their faith in Christ for salvation. But then when it comes to doing battles with the giants in the land, when it comes to battling the sin in their own hearts and in their own lives, when it comes to submitting their lives and their marriages and their parenting and their occupations and their lifestyles and their uh, stewardship and, and all of these areas that we must submit to the word of God, they say, I'll, I'll never win that battle. I'll, I'll never win that fight. These are giants. These are too big. And so many Christians continue to live in bondage, wandering in the wilderness when God wants to bring us into righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And how do we do it? Well, we follow God's word. When, when we get to the book of Joshua, what did God tell Joshua? As he's leading them into the kingdom, he's leading them into the promised land. Joshua chapter 1. He tells Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given it to you. It is your land to take. 
He tells Joshua, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Didn't Jesus tell us something like that? Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. God had promised his presence to be with the people of Israel. He has given his presence to us as believers. That power that, that we need to overcome sin is given to us through the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But he tells Joshua, be strong and, of, and, and courageous and you will cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to give to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. And how will this courage manifest? Verse 7, Joshua 1, 7. How does this strong and courageous attitude, how does it manifest? It says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We must, as God's people, show courage as we meditate on God's word, as we're careful to obey God's word. It takes courage in the day and age in which we live. But when we do, God says, then I will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. There are many voices out there today that will say the way to be successful, the way to be prosperous, the way to enjoy God's or blessings in your life, blah, 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 is to basically disobey the word of God. Eh, no, wrong, false, that's not true. If you want God to fight your battles for you, we obey the word of God. We submit our lives to the word of God. We submit our lives to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We meditate on his law day and night. Day and night. This is how they took possession of the land with minds and souls and hearts that were saturated with the word and the law of God. See, there are many people who come into faith in Christ on an emotional high. Again, it's like passing through the Red Sea. They hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel. It's awesome, God has saved me, hallelujah. Or maybe they're desperate, maybe they're coming from a desperate situation and God setting them free. They're, they're looking for salvation and, and so they put their faith in Christ. And it's like the children of Israel that pass through the Red Sea. They, they clap their hands, they throw a party, they celebrate. But then there's a different kind of faith that the first generation didn't manifest. And it's the faith of advancement, the faith of forward movement, the faith to enter into and to live in the kingdom of God. And that's the faith that the second generation manifests being led by Joshua as they went and they conquered Jericho in the promised land. And what I'm here telling you tonight, brothers and sisters, is that we need that kind of faith. 
Not just the faith of an emotional high. Not just the faith when everything is feeling good and the worship team plays the right song and it just gives me the goosebumps and, and it's just wonderful and oh, I have faith in Jesus. No, I'm talking about the faith. That, that when you're tempted in the world, you say, no, I will submit to the word of God. This is what God's word says. I'm talking about the faith that says, I will take the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and I will wield it in my heart and in my life and in my family so that we will obey God's word. At the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua calls the people together. They've possessed the promised land, but there are many of the people that they haven't driven out yet. They're living in and amongst these inhabitants that are still worshiping idols and, and, and still sinning against God. And Joshua tells them, you need to drive out these, these little people, these weak people that you're letting live here. Again, it's a picture of not driving out sin. And he says, as for me and my, you guys do what you're going to do. I'm passing away. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need that kind of faith in our lives today where we say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. My kids are going to serve the Lord. My, I'm going to serve the Lord. It starts with me. It starts with me. It starts with the mirror. I will serve the Lord today. I'm going to submit my life to his word. I'm going to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that when I do, he is the one who fights my battles for me. And when we do this in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, the kingdom of God sets up residence in our lives and in our homes. And we experience the righteousness, peace, and joy that only God can bring. But when we're distracted, when we're building our life on something else, when, when, when we're not keeping his word central in our lives, as he told Joshua to do, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. When we're not meditating on the word, but we're meditating on something else, or we're just full of entertainment in our homes, guess what? You're not going to experience the blessing of the kingdom of God. You're, not, you're, you're bringing another kingdom in. So you're not going to have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost in your house. You're going to have the devil in there. Stirring up trouble, animosity, fights, anger, blah, blah, blah. All of the stuff that comes from a sinful heart. But friends, if you will not be like those faithless, but if you will believe that God truly has set you free of sin truly has given you the weapons of warfare that we need, the word of God, the power of his spirit. You will submit your life to his word. You will meditate on it day and night. What you will find is that the kingdom of God will manifest in your life. Jesus said, Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you as well. We get so worried about all the other things. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and he's going to take care of everything else. So many believers do not go on to experience the fullness of what God has for them in this life because of unbelief, because they are unwilling to fight the battles. They are unwilling to face the giants. We must not be like those people 
We have, a, we have the opportunity to see the kingdom of God in our midst, but it only comes as we submit our lives to his word in the power of his spirit. We cannot allow ourselves to become discouraged on the journey so that we stagnate and that we grumble and that we lose faith and that we fail to see the kingdom of God in our lives. Listen, Jesus said in the world, you're gonna have tribulation. It's not gonna be easy. This is not an easy battle to fight. Some of these are giants. Some of, some of the giants that we all have to face are, 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 are sins that have been handed down from generation to generation to generation, but they are broken through the power of Christ. Nevertheless, there's a battle that we must face and that we must fight. And when we face it and fight it with the word of God, what we find out is actually that he's the one who's fighting our battles for us. But we got to show up. We got to pick up the sword. We got to wield it. They had to pick up the sword. They had to drive out the Canaanites. They had to take steps of faith. But when they did, God guaranteed the victory. So it is with all of us. We pick up the sword, we pick up the word, we wield it in our lives, and God guarantees the victory. Amen. Amen. Let us not become discouraged in the world. Yes, in the world we'll have tribulation, but Jesus said, take heart because he has overcome the world. The world will not overcome us. One of, one of the, the problems in, in our culture today is that we think that if anything is hard or difficult, that there's something wrong with it. We think that everything's supposed to be easy all the time. It's just not true. It's just not true. We face hardship. We face difficulty in this life. Just because it's hard and difficult doesn't mean that it's not working or that it's bad or that we should just throw in the towel. There's no easy mode button on, on the Christian life. We must take up our cross daily and follow Christ. But again, what I'm trying to lay out for you is that there is a promised land. There is a kingdom of God. There is something worth fighting for in your families. There is something worth digging into the word of God. There are the blessings of God that make rich in our lives. And I want you to have an appetite, not for Egypt, not for the melons of Egypt, but for the milk and honey that God provides in the promised land. Living in freedom and not in bondage. So we must continue to hold fast to the word of God with courage and move forward in faith no matter what the obstacle may be. I'm going to close tonight uh, by looking at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12, Paul has just written about how Jesus came from heaven to earth. He humbled himself. He, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And in verse 12, he says, therefore... Therefore, in light of these facts, in light of the reality of who Christ is, ruling and reigning in heaven, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
Therefore, therefore, since Christ rules and reigns, since Christ defeated Satan, defeated sin, defeated death, since he's seated on the throne as the King of kings and Lord of lords, therefore, God's people, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Listen, Jesus has defeated sin. He's defeated Satan. The enemy has been defeated. That's not just a song that we sing. That's a reality today. The enemy has been defeated. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The enemy, the power of the enemy has been broken in your life. Jesus has his power and he's bestowed it, poured it out on the day of Pentecost onto his church. The power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Therefore, what God has started in you, let it out, work it out. Why? How can we do this? Because it is God who's actually working in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When, when we pick up the sword of the Spirit, when we wield it against sin in our lives, when we bend our knee to pray with our family, it's not us who's doing it, it's God who's doing it through us. We can't do anything in of, our, of ourselves, but with God, nothing is impossible. With God, we can do anything. There is no giant that is too big. There's no sin that is too big. There's no generational curse that is too strong that hasn't been broken by the power of the gospel. So, brothers and sisters, let us not become complacent in the wilderness. Let us not become content, but let us have an appetite to live and to see the kingdom of God manifest in our lives and in our families and in our church. That we would see lives marked by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost as we choose to live in faith, as we choose to do battle with the enemy, as we do not give up or give in, but press on in faith. May we not be like the children of Israel who fell in unbelief, but those who had the word of God in their mouths and they meditated on it day and night and they went in and they took possession of everything that God had for them. Let us be like that generation and press on in faith.